This is the Water Boy with your daily news brief for Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. Lies, propaganda, storytelling, and serrated edge. This year, our annual national conference is in Knoxville, Tennessee, October 6th through the 8th. The theme of this year's conference is lies, propaganda, storytelling, and the serrated edge, as I just said. Our conference is not your typical conference. No, it's not like Together for the Gospel, the Gospel Coalition, Ligonier, G3, all those conferences. This, this conference, we fight. We laugh, we feast with fellowship, beer, and psalms, which no one does these days, which is incredible. Our amazing lineup of speakers, hanging out with our awesome vendors, which we very much encourage, meeting new friends and more. Early bird tickets are available now. Bring your whole family. We love the kids. Um, Get early bird tickets. Uh, They go uh, until June 30th. Go to fightlaughfeast.com, click on shop, and you're on your way to Knoxville. All right, Tuesday's primary election, okay? This This is going on yesterday. Wake up, figure out what happened, who won today, but I kind of want to give you an overview so you now know, and the winner should basically be declared by the time you listen to the news brief today, but here's the overview of all the interesting elections that are going on right now. Okay, New Jersey, Mississippi, South Dakota, Iowa, New Mexico, Montana, and California. Okay, according to CNN, a number of House primary races have captured national attention, especially in California, where redistricting after the 2020 census took place up the traditional political playing field. It kind of mixes it up. A former Trump administrator cabinet member is running for a new House seat in Montana. There's a high-profile Democratic Senate race in Iowa. And incumbent governors in California, Iowa, New Mexico, and South Dakota are up for re-election. Here is everything you need to know. Okay. California Governor Gavin Newsom, less than a year after being backed in an attempt to recall him, so remember he almost got recalled, sort of, is seeking a second term. Democratic Senator Alex Padilla, whom Newsom appointed to now Vice President Kamala Harris' seat last year, is running for a full term as well as in a special election for the remainder of Harris's term. Beyond House primary races, there's a special general election to replace former GOP Representative Devin Nunes in California's 22nd congressional district under the new state's primary system. All candidates run on the same ballot, and the top two voter-getters, regardless of party, advance to the general election. Ugh. That's so bad, but you guys should know the results of those um, by now, but figure it out. Okay, now this is important. Again, in Los Angeles, developer Rick Caruso has emerged as a top contender to U.S. Rep. Karen Bass in the race to succeed term-limited Democratic Mayor Eric Garcetti, who was awful. Remember, he was shutting down water uh, during COVID to houses where there was parties. L.A. City Council member Kevin DeLeon is also running. If no one takes a majority Tuesday, the top two candidates will advance in November runoff. In San Francisco, District Attorney, attorney Chesa Chesa Bowden? Ugh, I don't know. Maybe it's a transgender name. Is facing a recall election. If a majority of voters support the recall, San Francisco Mayor London Breed would appoint an interim district attorney. And the district attorney hasn't been fighting crime there in San Francisco, and that's why that is happening right now. In Iowa, Former U.S. Representative Abby Finnacher, fin, uh, Finkenauer, excuse me, that's a hard last name, faces retired Navy Vice uh, uh, Vice Administrator Mike Franken and Minden City Council member Glenn Hurst in the Democratic Party to take on Republican Senator Chuck Grassley in November. Republican Governor Kim Reynolds and Democratic G- Ugh, Dredare, DJ. <laughs> 
not making that up, who ran for Iowa Secretary of State in 2018 are running unopposed in their gubernatorial primary. So it looks like there's going to be no Republican or Democratic cha challenge at the gubernatorial level in Iowa, um, and they will be heading into a race in November. And the three of the state's four U.S. House members face competitive races this fall. Montana is hosting two U.S. House races for the first time in decades after the state gained a second seat ooh, in reinforcement following the 2020 census. Former Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, who was Montana's member at large before joining the Trump administration, is running for the new number one district, District 1. All right, in Mississippi, Republican... Uh, uh, Representative Steve Palazzo, who is under congressional ethics investigation, faces a competitive GOP primary. Pay attention to that. We should know the results soon. In New Jersey, Democratic Republican, uh, Representative <laughs> Democratic Republican, that, that, we'd call that a rhino. Uh, Tom Malinowski is vulnerable in the 7th District after his seat became more Republican redistricting. And Rob Menendez, Menendez a Port Authority Commissioner and the son of uh, Senator Bob Menendez, is the front runner for the Democratic nomination to succeed retiring Democratic Representative Albi Ceres in the 8th District. In New Mexico, so hopping over to Mexico, New Mexico, five Republicans are vying for the chance to face Democratic Governor Michelle Luan Grisham in the fall. So this is actually a really important race. New Mexico can toggle back and forth between Republican and Democratic governors. It can happen. And with everything that's been going on the last number of years, it, the Republicans stand a real chance in dethroning the Democratic incumbent governor. Two Democrats are challenging GOP Representative Yvette Harrell in the state's second, second congressional district, which became more Democratic in redistricting. And in South Dakota, Republican Governor Kristi Noem, a potential 2024 presidential contender, not in my book, is running for re-election in the reliably red state. She faces a primary challenge from State Representative Steve Haugard, a former state House Speaker. Remember, we had him on our Liberty Show on April 7th when we were in South Dakota and Rapid City. He seems to be a good guy to be following, and I definitely would support him in this race. And uh, this is his first year running as governor and running against incumbent Christy Nome, who she'll probably will win this election, but this will really set him up hopefully four years uh, from now. So that's everything going on. It's interesting that the race is going on in Los Angeles and San Francisco for the governors and the attorney generals or the um, uh, district attorneys, excuse me. Uh, watch those races because those are very interesting as uh, there seems to be a conservative shift happening and actually a more Democratic conservative. Actually, the, one of the mayors that looks like he could potentially win was a Republican and switched to Democrat to run as a Democratic mayor in Los Angeles uh, because that's just pretty much how you win. You can't win without the Democratic name in Los Angeles. So he made the switch, which is um, it'll be interesting to see if he ends up winning. All right. Property taxes. Okay. Idaho. I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk about Idaho property taxes, but this really applies to probably what's going on in your state and the assessments you might be seeing at your door right now. With reports that property taxes are increasing around 25% on average here in Idaho. That's what I've seen. This is kind of an anecdotal average of what I'm seeing from my friends posting online and so forth. It's kind of, I'm kind of, you know, bringing some anecdotal information here. It's long past due that we overhaul our taxation system. It should be no surprise to you that I believe property taxes are legitimate theft. Theft. <laughs> That mechanism of connecting taxes to your property ownership is just plain wicked. And this is not to take away from the fact that I believe the government does have real authority to tax its citizens. But to tie taxes to the ownership of your property is to, in effect, turn your ownership of your property into a rental. 
with the government as your benevolent landlord. Just try not paying your property taxes for one month and see what happens. See who owns your property then. Now think about this. Imagine if the government taxed your local grocery store the same way the ta- they taxed your property. The economic damage that would come for this would be horrendous. We don't see the economic damage. We, we're so used to the economic damage created by our government taxing our property. Uh, we're just used to it. We don't, we don't see this damage. So, but, but apply it to the grocery store. So the government taxes your house by telling you how much your house is worth. Imagine if the government told you how much a gallon of milk is worth. And unlike sales tax, you get taxed for the mere fact that you own the house. Imagine if your government taxed milk uh, while it just sat there on the retail shelf. Okay, just just the mere fact that you know Safeway owned that milk and it just taxed it as it sat there every day on the retail shelf until you came by and picked it up. At least with a gallon of milk, okay, right now your house gets taxed just because you own it. You just own it. You don't even sell it, and you own it, and it gets taxed monthly, yearly. You know, right now, at least a gallon of milk, it does not get taxed until it sells, until it comes off the shelf. But with your house, you get taxed on the very ownership of it based off what the government says you owe, based off the value that they determine and assess that your house is worth. Imagine if milk, okay, was taxed daily before it was sold off the shelf. Every day that gallon is taxed on the shelf, just sitting there, doing nothing, waiting to be sold. Do you think your local grocery store will be incentivized to keep more milk on the shelf or less? That's a that's a serious question. Do you think a home builder is incentivized to have an inventory of houses waiting to sell? No, he's not. It actually, it disincentivizes inventory. This is why the housing market is so egregious right now. We assess monthly taxes on the ownership of your house. The government does which disincentivizes builders to build houses and keep them as inventory. You you know, on the, on the shelf like a gallon of milk. And then when the government artificially shuts down the economy, the housing market already was limited because of how the government disincentivizes stock on, on the shelf, you know, of the housing market. And then add the government-driven inflation and the shutdown of the economy and the shutdown of building houses and the shutdown of supply chains and the shutdown of wood, the, the increase in gasoline prices, all this stuff. And it's, voila, you get this awful cycle that we're in right now. And it's all driven by government regulation, intervention, and taxation. You know, these various um, mechanisms that are destroying our housing economy right now. Boniface Woodworking exists for those who enjoy shopping with integrity. You want to buy handmade wooden furniture, gifts, heirloom items with that will last for generations from dining tables and church pulpits to cigar humidors and everything in between. Remember, Father's Day is coming up. Quality pieces that you can give your children's children, tie them to their roots, and transcend the basic function of whatever they are. So, start voting with your dollars, amen, and stop buying cheap crap from people who hate you. Visit BonifaceWoodworking.com to see our gallery, learn our story, and submit your order for heirloom quality wood items. I love it, and Father's Day is coming up. All right, on to the gun debate. With all the talk of gun violence and red flag laws, we keep talking about this on Cross Politics. We keep talking about this on the daily news because the news cycles keep talking and feeding you false information. And since the Uvalde shootings happen, we need to clear up some fake news that is going around. Okay, this, this is true. Joe Biden and various news outlets have been claiming that before 2020, the number one way children die is due to auto accidents annually. Okay, that's, that's according to CDC statistics. And then Joe Biden, after 2020, 
has claimed, and he just did this five days ago. He just claimed this five days ago, and a number that the number one killer of children is now through guns. That's what he's saying. Okay, Google it, and you'll see a number of mainstream outlets covering this fact. You know, quote unquote fact. And of course, Joe Biden's comments online, you'll see that that too. And and here's a snippet from Forbes, just to just to prove my point, what I'm talking about. Here's where Forbes is talking about this. And it says, in 2000, over 13,000 young people died due to motor vehicle related injuries. Okay, um, young people. No, notice the terminology here, young people. In 2020, just over 8,000 deaths in young population were recorded, which is a reduction over 40 percent over the past two decades. In contrast. There were just under 7,000 firearm-related deaths in those ages 1 to 24 in 2000. How come they did not give you the age category for auto accidents? Forbes didn't do that. But they gave it. They gave you the age category for, for um, firearm-related deaths here, ages 1 to 24 in 2000. And now, over 10,000 deaths in 2020. In this time period, while motor vehicle safety measures have increased in concert with increased federal funding to reduce these injuries and deaths, there was little, if any, federal funding from, for firearm safety research between 1996 and 2019. So, listen, I mean, this is what Forbes is doing. This is actually pretty egregious, and they're trying to get you to think, oh, you know, the federal government funded all this um, vehicular research to keep vehicles safe, and the government spent nothing no federal funding on you know uh, research around gun-related deaths. And so the government can fix it if you just give them more money and they can fix this problem. Okay, but just one note here. Between 20, 2000 and 2020, young people um, die. More Young people die to the, the biggest number one caller, uh, um, biggest number one deaths is due to motor vehicular-related injuries. And they don't give a definition for what that age range is, but then they give you a definition for what the age range is for um, the firearm-related deaths, and it's ages 1 to 24. Now, the claim is, you, you'll see this with Joe Biden, the claim is children. The category they're using is children. And then when you actually dig into analysis, they're saying ages 1 to 24. 24-year-olds are not children anymore, okay? And, and the reason why that's important now, now here's NBC. NBC News actually telling a little truth here. While gun and motor vehicle deaths increased substantially in 2020, last year for which final numbers were available, claims that more children and teenagers do die due to guns than motor vehicles only hold up, listen to this, when 18 to 19-year-olds are included in that data. But all the, all the language that's being used is children, children, children die. More children are dying due to gun-related deaths than auto accidents in 2020. That's the claim. But then you have to add, NBC is saying, you have to add 18 to 19-year-olds to make that analysis work. And, and a group that accounts for nearly as many gun deaths as ages 1 to 17-year-olds combined. So actually, 18 to 19-year-olds is where the majority, 18 to 24-year-olds is where the majority of gun deaths happen. And this is, and the reason is, is because this is where father hunger is at. This is where the fruit of fatherlessness really starts to appear. But they're, they're trying to get you to think children are, are suffering from gun violence when it's actually 18 and above where that, and, and you'll notice that the governor of New York was using language like, this is a disease. You know, basically she's trying to get you to think this is a pandemic. Gun violence is a pandemic. So according to NBC News, the analysis of the data from the Center of Disease and Control and Prevention, the gap between vehicular deaths and firearm deaths is narrowing among 1 to 17-year-olds and may close entirely according to the CDC 
provisional and complete data in 2021. Okay, now you need to tune in to last night's Cross Politics show where talk, to hear Chocolate Knox um, in his monologue talk about the racist history of gun laws and gun permits. Yeah, it's, it's crazy the racist history behind gun laws and permits out there. You have to t- tune in to hear what Knox had to say about that. Lastly, Rand Paul unveils a plan to slash federal spending over the next five years to balance, to balance the budget. <laughs> This I can't believe this is so controversial. And I and Rand Paul basically um, submits something like this every year. Okay, according to Fox News, Fox Business, Senator Rand Paul on Monday unveiled a new bill that includes trillions in budget cuts over the next five years in order to bring about a balanced budget. It's take about five years. The Kentucky Republican proposed proposal would yield a sixty-five billion dollar surplus by fiscal year twenty twenty-seven. Collectively, the plan spends about $4.2 trillion less than the nonpartisan Congressional Budget office, office estimated during that same time period. A person familiar with the matter. Who's that person? I always want to know. Five years ago, we could balance our budget with a freeze in spending, Senator Rand Paul said. Not cutting anything. Since then, our debt has skyrocketed to $30 trillion with $2 trillion just from this past year alone. We cannot keep ignoring this problem at the expense of taxpayers, and my budget will put our nation on track to solve this crisis that the Congress created. Whew, I like that, Congress created. The plan calls for cuts across the, bud- across the board, across the budget, excluding Social Security, which you got to tackle that problem. Everyone's scared to touch that problem, which is racing towards insolvency. Social Security is, is going to be insolvent because um, it's a pyramid screen, you know, um, a pyramid scheme. What is cut will be determined at a later time through the normal spending process. The goal is to set a parameter that Congress must fit its spending agenda within rather than identifying specific cuts. Now, actually, that's not a bad plan to try to get people on board. But, man, the fight that would come actually trying to come within within that balanced budget framework is, is, I I think, irresolvable. It's just just not going to happen with this this, um, political fight that we have on our hands. So... This is Gabriel Ranch with Cross Politic News. Support Radical Christian Media by joining our club at FightLaughFeast.com, downloading our app, and heading to our annual Fight Laugh Feast events. If this content is helpful to you, please consider joining our Fight Laugh Feast club. Become a club member. We're trying to build a cancel-proof media platform, and we cannot do it without our club members. Join today and get a discount to our Fight Laugh Feast conference in Knoxville in October. Have a great day. And more dress.